to the depths of the to describe you God in all the words in the world we can't come up with you're so good such a good father a good God truly the only good God Lord we thank you just for the privilege of being here together today to worship you to learn from your word open our ears and our hearts in your name we pray
you, Daniel. A line in that a line in that song we just sung goes, You place the stars in the sky and you know them by name. And that reminded me of a quote by a famous beardy Baptist preacher who said, He who counts the stars and calls them by their names is in no danger of forgetting his own children. He knows your case as thoroughly as if you were the only creature he ever made or the only saint he ever loved. How amazing is a love like that. Turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy 30, and as you're turning there, a few announcements. Um, Marlene has only gotten a few of the forms uh, for the directory that she has graciously offered to put together. If you, uh, if you haven't put one in yet and you would like your information in the church directory, there are some blank forms out in the foyer on the uh, smaller pulpit. Uh, and then Miss Marlene is right here in the middle of the sanctuary. So track her down or give it to me and I'll track her down. Uh, next week is Easter Sunday. And there will be no Sunday school. So if you show up early, you said it, not me. Uh, there's going to be, uh, there's a few few um, extraordinary or, or um, uh, 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 extra things we're doing next week. We're having uh, an Easter egg hunt, um, weather permitting. Uh, it should be good. We're going to be having an Easter egg hunt for the kiddos after service. Um, and uh, with, with an the anticipation that some more people might show up, I've prepared uh, some evangelism bags uh, with some uh, goodies, um, a gospel of John, a gospel tract, and an invite uh, to next week's service like this. So uh, feel free to grab a handful of those bags and hand them out to your neighbors, coworkers, or, or your friends. Um, just thought it, I would do the, the, the labor for you, and all you have to do is hand it out and say, God bless you. Uh, also, Hannah King has uh, graciously offered to uh, put together the potluck for next week. Um, being a Baptistish, Baptistish church, this is where we excel. So uh, if you are interested in uh, making a contribution to the, to the food, please see Hannah King. Hannah can just, I think, every, yeah, everyone here, yeah, knows you. Um, and then lastly, uh, the men's, the next men's study will begin Thursday, April 15th, and we'll be going through the book of Judges. So um, this is a great opportunity not only for you to grow in your, in your knowledge of the Word of God and to be edified thereby, but also to uh, grow in your fellowship with your fellow men and get to know them and uh, have community with them and, and sharpen each other in the faith. So, uh, again, that's Thursday, April 15th. Now, by now, everyone has found Deuteronomy, chapter 30. So it shall be, when all of these things have come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind in all nations where the Lord your God has banished you, and you return to the Lord your God and obey Him with all your heart and soul according to all that I command you, you and your sons. Then the Lord your God will restore you from captivity and have compassion on you and will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If your outcasts are at the ends of the earth, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will bring you back. The Lord your God will bring you into the land which your fathers possessed, and you shall possess it. And he will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. And here is, th this chapter is one of the reasons I believe God is not done with Israel. This has not happened with ethnic Israel. Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul so that you may live. 
The Lord your God will inflict all these curses on your enemies and on those who hate you, who who persecuted you, and you shall again obey the Lord and observe all his commandments which I command you today. (coughs) Then the Lord will... Then the Lord your God will prosper you abundantly in all the work of your hands, in the offspring of your body, and in the offspring of your cattle, and in the produce of your ground. For the Lord will again rejoice over you for good, just as he rejoiced over your fathers. If you obey the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes, which are written in this book of the law, if you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and soul, For this commandment which I command you today is not too difficult for you, nor is it out of reach. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will go up to heaven for us to get it for us and make us hear it, that we may observe it. Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will cross the sea for us to get it for us and make us hear it, that we may observe it. But the word is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that you may observe it. See, I have set before you today life and prosperity and death and adversity. And that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in His ways, and to keep His commandments and His statutes and His judgments, that you may live and multiply, and that the Lord your God may bless you in the land where you are entering to possess it. But if your heart turns away, and you will not obey, but are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You will not prolong your days in the land where you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess it. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse, so choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants. By loving the Lord your God, by obeying his voice, and by holding fast to him, for this is your life and your length of days that you may live in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. Let's pray. Lord, here we are reminded again of the limitations of the Old Covenant and that it was dependent upon men obeying your voice and loving you and holding fast to you. Moses said, this is their life. This is your life. This is your length of days. It is hinged upon your obedience. How thankful we are that we have a great high priest who has an obedience far more obedient than ours, whose faithfulness is far more faithful than ours, whose love for God far transcends our own. And by virtue of the fact that He heard your voice, that He listened to you, that He obeyed you, and that He perfectly loved you, that through Him, through Him, sinners might be forgiven, Sinners might be brought near to you, and sinners might enter your presence. Thank you, Lord, for our blessed substitute, for Jesus Christ, who is our righteousness. Amen. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. In the summer of 1961, Vince Lombardi, coach of the Green Bay Packers, and Charlie's like, oh, it's sports and illustration. He didn't run this by me. It's okay, Charlie. I stole this from another pastor. Calm down. For our visitors, whenever I go go into sports, it's 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 rough around. 1961, 
coach of the Green Bay Packers, Vince Lombardi, stood before 36 professional athletes who just months prior had watched the, their championship dreams slip through their fingers. He started training camp holding something that needed no explanation, a football. And you know what he said to his men? He said, men, it's time for us to get back to the fundamentals. This is a football. This is the ball with which we play. Now, Lombardi was able to get his team back on track for the rest of the season and to do what they needed to do on the field. Now, Paul had no clue what a football was. And he might have been all the better off for it. But he understood the principle of remaining mindful and glued to the basics. And to that end, he takes us back to the basics, back to the fundamentals of the Christian walk here in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 20 to 24. And specifically in verses 20 to 21, Paul, Paul tells us to remember, remember your past learning. Remember your basics. Remember your fundamentals. And then in verses 22 to 24, he will tell us to review or to relive your past learning. Remember your past learning and then review your past learning. Let's read what Paul has for us today in Ephesians 4, 20 to 24. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard Him and have been taught in Him, just as truth is in Jesus, Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. First, Paul tells us to remember your past learning. Remember your past learning. Now, what he has just done is has outlined the worldly way of life and thinking that on one hand, it exists in God's creation. Right? It, it, it exists within the sphere of of God's truth, and yet it rejects that truth. That worldly worldview and that way of thinking and living rejects His revelation, rejects His truth uh, under this presumption, under this faulty belief that it has found a better truth. However, that futile, darkened, hardened think tank of worldly paganism was not the avenue through which you came to Christ. That's not how you began your Christian walk. Paul says right there in verse 20, but you, and that, that but tells us there is a contrast, but you did not learn Christ this way. And you, you can just imagine him holding up his hand, and, and that is referring to everything he said in the previous three verses the worldly way of thinking. It's as if he's saying, it's different with you. You are not like that. That way of life is not your way. You come from a different source. You have a different spirit within you. You have a different outlook on life. You have different goals. Something different is driving you. You have different desires and different ambitions. They, they live for themselves. They, they live to serve and to please themselves. You live for someone else. You live for a new master. You live for Christ. You live to please Christ. You didn't come to where you are today by swimming in that same cesspool of darkened, hardened, sensual ignorance and depravity that they're simmering in. Now, question, how did you come to where you are? Well, Paul says you, you learned Christ 
You, you, came, you came to Christ. You were saved by Christ. You were given a new life in Christ. You were raised up in Christ. You have, you have your new privileges and your and new inheritance and every good promise of God by virtue of the fact that you are in Christ and that Christ is with you. Which is basically what Paul said back in chapter 2, 4 to 6. Paul says, unlike the world which learns nothing but sin, death, and destruction, you learned something else. And in fact, you didn't learn uh, something else so much as you learned someone else. You learned Christ. You learned a person. Not a philosophy, not a code, not a set of ethics, not a routine of behaviors. First and foremost, front and center, you learned a person. You learned the beautiful, wonderful, majestic, awesome person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who existed in etern- since eternity past as God and enjoyed perfect communion with the Father and Spirit. And in loving obedience to the Father and in loving, gracious pity to sinners like you and me, He put on human nature. In the same way, not in the same way, but like I would put on a cloak in the morning or put clothes on. He put on humanity and was born. And he lived a perfect, sinless life. Twice the Father testified. Twice he said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. No prophet got that accolade. That couldn't be said of Moses. Moses was so well, Moses was good, but Moses was not well pleasing. Moses was not perfectly pleasing in God's sight. No prophet, not, not Abraham, could, what didn't have that said about him. Jesus was well pleasing in God's sight, and God said so. And God said he deserved to be heard and obeyed. And rather than being heard and obeyed. Christ Jesus was beaten, mocked, stood upon, scourged, slapped in the face, beat in the head with rods, ridiculed, and finally crucified. And while the immediate agents who were responsible for that injustice were men, the Romans, the Jewish leaders, even the Jewish people who cried out for his death, yes, they were the immediate means, but the, but the ultimate means, the ultimate agency r- responsible for this torture and execution was God himself, who was providing the lamb of his choice to take away the sins of his people. Isaiah 53.10 says, It pleased the Lord. It pleased Yahweh to crush him and put him to grief since he rendered himself as a guilt offering. Jesus Christ was God's choice lamb to take away the sins of his people. And he proved Jesus was that choice lamb. He justified every single word, every single claim that Jesus ever said, not only by predicting detail by detail of his crucifixion in Isaiah 53, but he furthermore justified and proved this by not leaving Christ to rot in the grave and raising him from the dead. And with that, Jesus being forever beyond the reach of death. He is highly exalted. He is greatly honored. Philippians 2 says that he has been given the name above every other name. And as Paul says in Acts 2, Peter says in Acts 2 at Pentecost, this Jesus whom you crucified, God has made him both Lord and Christ. And the people asked a very, very pertinent question, a very timely question. What, ought we, what should we do? And Peter said, 
in response to this marvelous disclosure of God's grace and mercy, mercy to sinners is to repent and to be baptized in the name of Jesus, who is now Lord. If you're a Christian here today, you are not a Christian because of anything the world gave you. You're a Christian because that Christ made you so. You have acquired everything you have in Christ because you have come to know and believe and trust in that divine person who interceded for you by taking your place in judgment of sin and he died for you and having paid the price of death for you he rose from the dead so that he might continue living as your Lord and your Master. This is the Christ that you learned. This is the Christ that you received, that you positively responded to. This is the Christ you learned. This was the subject of your learning. He was the subject of your learning. Furthermore, not only did you learn Christ, not only was he your subject, but he was also your teacher. Paul Paul says, and continues on in verse 21, if indeed you heard him, and, and if there, uh, in the English, it kind of comes across like, like, a, like an uncertainty. Well, it could be, it couldn't be, if, if not. Uh, it, real is, it would be better translated since. And, and he, Paul is making a positive assumption. And we do this all the time in our modern English. I might say to my, ch to my daughter, if you want to play video games, this afternoon, then you better do your homework. Is there any question whether she wants to play video games? No. And so I could say, since you want to play video games, and I know you do, then finish your homework. And so it, this is better translated, or could be better translated, since you heard him. Paul is assuming, Paul knows that you heard him. You heard him. He is the he is the one who taught you. And maybe someone's asking, but Aaron, I thought, I thought Paul, I thought, I, thought the, I thought the Ephesians heard Paul speak. Wasn't Paul the one that went to them? Wasn't Paul the one who, who stood before them and preached Jesus? And yes, he did so as an ambassador for Christ. And as an ambassador, his most fundamental task was to speak on behalf of Christ who sent him. That's what... That's what every ambassador, that's what every envoy does. An envoy who goes and then speaks for himself isn't worth his beans. This is what Paul did. This is what the apostles did. They didn't give their opinions. They didn't give their personal commentary. They were simply middlemen who received a message and delivered that message. And this is, in, 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 in truth, this is what all of his disciples were commanded to do. Matthew 28, 20. Go and make disciples of the nations and teach them to observe everything I have commanded you. And so in a very real way, hearing Paul, hearing Peter, hearing John, hearing any of the apostles or any evangelist or any pastor or teacher preach Jesus and to preach the teachings of Jesus means... You are hearing Jesus. And this is how Paul could say in, in Ephesians 2.17 that it was Christ who preached to you far away. When in fact, Paul, for, 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 from a human perspective, uh, humanly speaking, it was Paul speaking to them in the flesh, and yet Paul says, Christ preached to you. F.F. Bruce said this, Christ himself is the Christian speaker. Even if the teaching is given through the lips of his followers, to receive the teaching is in the truest sense to hear him. And I'll remind you that Jesus said in, to his disciples in Matthew 10.40, he who received you also does what? He who received you receives me. If they hear you, it's not ultimately you they're hearing, they're really hearing me. 
when you first learned Christ, Jesus ultimately was your teacher. He said in John 10, 16, that his sheep hear his voice. And he speaks with power, with efficacy, with authority. And he speaks in truth, even when he is speaking through flawed, fallible, and visually unimpressive mouthpieces, such as myself. Kent Hughes said that when true preaching takes place, Jesus is, is, is invisibly in the pulpit and walking the aisles, personally teaching his own. That both comforts me to know that Jesus is working despite my imperfections, but it also sobers me up to make sure that I do my job as well as I can. Jesus was the subject of your learning. He was the teacher of your learning. And he's also the, he was also the atmosphere of your learning. Last part of verse 21 says that you've also been taught in him. You learned Jesus, you heard Him, and you were taught in Him. He is the atmosphere of your learning. He's not merely the first step on the ladder to salvation and spiritual maturity. He's the whole ladder. He's not the, the first attraction on the road to heaven. He is the road. In fact, Jesus even said that very thing. John fourteen six. I am the way. Way and road, same word. John ten nine, when he said, I am the door, those in Jesus' historical context would understand that the door that the, that the sheep would travel through was a door, uh, name, being the shepherd, that was a door they traveled daily to go out to pasture. It wasn't a door that they made one time and then forever was in their rearview mirror. Jesus is the road. He is the way. He is the door that his sheep enter daily for pasture. He is the author and finisher of our faith. We are saved by him. We were saved by him spiritually at the beginning, and we're going to be saved by him physically at the end. And then for eternity to come, we will see him in all of his glorious splendor, and we will glory in his glory and we will never ever get tired or bored at learning at how awesome and wonderful and good and great of a person he is. Until that time, every step we take, we take in him because we live in him. He is your atmosphere. Colossians 3 3 says that our life is, is hidden in him. Paul says in Galatians 2 20. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. The gifts we have, it's we have because he gave us. And we're able to use them because he empowers those gifts. The fruit we bear, as John 15 tells us, is because we abide in him. I feel like I'm quoting John a lot today. He sustains everything by the word of his power, Hebrews 1.3. He fills all things, and that includes you, that includes your gifts, that includes your life, and that includes your everything. He, being Jesus, was and is and will be the subject, teacher, and atmosphere what you have learned in the faith. That is Paul's reminder of your past learning. But it's not enough for Paul to just refer to our past learning. He, he then go, proceeds to lay the contents of our past learning before us long enough, and he, and he reviews them here, and he's imploring us to review them so that they don't just go in one ear and out the other. He lays them before us long enough for our hearts and minds to steep in these truths. Because he wants us to retain them. And so he tells us, don't just remember, but review, or maybe relive your past learning. 
verses 22 to 24. Here, he, he reviews the specific truths that you all, and that I, and that all believers have come to know and walk in at the beginning. He says, just as truth is in Christ. And I, this is in contrast to the, to the darkened, ignorant, futile, worldly thinking that rejects God's truth. This is in contrast to, um, what does he say, uh, uh, at the end of verse 22, that the old self which, which, which you are to put off is corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. Did you know that sin is deceptive? Sin is deceptively deceptive. It never gives you what it promises to give you. And it never satisfies, and it's never enough. And it always sells you a false bill of goods. And down at the very... Oh no, he, he goes back to truth at the end. I'll get that in a second. But th- th- this is in contrast to the falsity of the world and its way of thinking and the falsity of the flesh. Truth is in Christ. And you who once rejected this truth, you who once swam in ignorant deceit and in the deceit of lust, that rejection came to a stopping point. And you came to believe in Jesus who unlike the world doesn't he doesn't give you a false bill of goods. He doesn't bait you in with one thing and then hook you with something entirely different. He gives you the truth because as Paul says here, truth is in Christ. Now what was that truth that you finally accepted? This is cool. This is cool. This excites me. If you've, if you've ever wondered, what, what was apostolic preaching like? What, were those, what did those fiery men of God say? Well, here it is. Here's the kind of preaching that rocked the world. Here's the kind of preaching that laid the foundation for Christianity. Here's the kind of preaching that defied kings and built the church. Here's what these 12 ordinary men and one extraordinary Pharisee turned Gentile missionary told people that rocked the world. You know what they preached? They preached repentance. They preached repentance. Acts 2.38 Repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of of your sins. Acts 3.19 Therefore repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away. Acts 8.22 to to Simon the magician. Therefore repent of this wickedness of yours. Acts 17.30 Paul on on the hill of the Areopagus he says Therefore repent uh, I'm sorry Therefore having overlooked the times of ignorance God is now declaring to all men that all people everywhere should repent. Acts 20.21, Paul testified to both Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And at his trial before Festus, Paul explained that what got him in trouble with the Jews was that he preached to the Gentiles, saying that they too ought to repent and thereby return to God. They preached repentance. Okay, I get it. I get it. Repentance. Repentance. But what is repentance again? I'm glad you asked. I said this last week. What repentance is not. Repentance is not adding. It is not the mere addition of something to your routine. It is not a supplement. It's not finding that one thing that you're missing and then going out and doing it. That's what the rich young ruler tried to do. The rich young ruler felt something was lacking, 
But one thing he wasn't planning on doing when he, when he sought out Jesus that day is that he wasn't planning on giving anything in his life up. He was looking for that one thing to, to add, for that one further step he could take, that one further thing he could do. He wanted to add something. And Jesus told him he needed to make an exchange. There was something he had to give up. Everything he trusted in, his riches, his own perceived sense of self-righteousness, he had to give that up. And, and here's where the exchange happens. He had to replace all of that with following Jesus. He had to become Jesus' disciple. He had to begin learning Jesus' ways. He needed to follow Jesus. He needed to be with Jesus. There was a necessary exchange. A change in mind and thought that led to a change in his life and actions. That's what repentance is. Giving something up and replacing it with something else, not just merely adding something. And, and Paul highlights this in verses 22 to 24. And it's a shame Justin is not here right now because I was about to, uh, I was about to praise the ESV, but since he's not here, I won't do that, at least not so loudly. Watch it, watch it. Okay, so... Uh, this is a little a little uh, grammarly for you. Paul provides three infinitives. Has anyone learned French or Spanish? Okay. When I took French, whenever you learned a new word, it was always provided in the uh, uh, with a two and then the and then the verb, right? Okay, that is the infinitival form or the infinitive form. And in, in the English, it doesn't, really, especially in the NASB, they just translate it like a normal verb. In the ESV, you see the two in front of each word, and it, it, just, it just sticks out, and it just pops. And the ESV does a pretty good job here. ESV says, To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, verse 23, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, verse 24, and to put on the new self. That's it. It, it. Like I said, it's still there in the NASB, and it works in the verbal cognates that they translate them in, but this is, you know, to, to my chagrin and to Justin's delight, and apparently John's, ESV gets this spot on. These are the three things you were taught in coming to Christ. You lay aside or you put off the old self. You be renewed in your mind. And then you put on the new self. Repentance 101. Put off, be renewed, put on. Now let's look at these. Putting off the new self. Putting off the old self. No, old self. Putting off the old self. Prior to conversion, men lived in their sin and they resisted the idea of giving up the sin they loved and the sin that they live in. And they, they, can, they may surely hate the consequences of sin, but as for the sin itself, they love it. And they live in it. And when a man is convicted of sin, he, he, he finally feels the weight of sin and the guilt of and the impending judgment of God upon his conscience. conscience. A, a conscience that, that is still sensitive to these things, it, that is a good thing. It is a horrible thing when the conscience gets seared and no longer speaks. And as his conscience is finally pricked, he says within his soul, I have to give this up. I have to leave this behind me. And in that man's heart, he is turning away from that sin and he's turning towards Christ. And in Christ, he finds hope. And in Christ, he finds a hope that he can bank on. And he hears the sweet, 
words of the Savior, Come to me, all you who are weak and weary laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. He didn't see that before. He didn't hear that voice before, but he can hear it now. And he can see the hope and the promise of forgiveness and the promise of rest. And this means everything to him. And he makes a decisive break to not live to the destructive sin that brought him such misery upon his conscience. And he has come to deny himself. It's so easy for us to deny others who are in the wrong. And, and, and the word deny here, it, it's, uh, it's not just to say no to. It's, it, has the, it, it, it was used in a legal sense, and it has the idea of, of not associating yourself with. And, and especially when it came to someone in trial, it, would, it was used to either, uh, to either come to that person's side or to stand against them. And whenever that old self is there pleading for you to come save him, for you to come satisfy him, a deaf ear and a cold shoulder is now all he gets. This man has now finally put off his old self. He has denied his old self, his old desires, his old ways, his old manners, his old walk. And along with everything else that offends his maker, he has put off the old man and has laid all aside for something else. That is the first step in repentance. You have to put off. And then... Paul says next, to be renewed in your mind. Now, it is no good to put off the old self and to begin that stage of reform if you're just going to keep thinking with the same old mind because all you're going to do is you're going to rebuild the very thing you just threw out and got rid of. It's like like uh, Jesus told a parable about a man who who was possessed by a demon. And and the demon left, and the man cleaned his house and got everything in order, but he didn't replace, he, he didn't bring anything new into the house. And so the demon comes back, and everything is nice and tidy and welcoming, and he decides to go and bring back other demons with him as well. That's just a parable. But you, you need the new way to think. Whereas before you had a fleshly mind with fleshly capacities, you needed something different. You needed a spiritual mind with spiritual capacities, spiritual sensitivity. And Christ gave that to you. Jesus told Nicodemus he didn't merely need to be taught things he didn't know. He didn't merely need to to look at things in a new light. What did he tell Nicodemus? You need to be born again. You need to be made something new. You need to be regenerated. In Christ, God didn't give you a spit shine. He didn't just change out one or two parts and refurbish you. He did a complete demo job. And he tore everything down so that something new could be built in its place. New life, new spirit, new mind with which the Christian can now proceed to the next stage. Put on your new self. Put off, be renewed, then finally put on the new. When you became a new creation, Finally now, because you are empowered with a new mind, now you can go out and live differently. Now you can go out and live differently. Being in Christ, you have a new position, you have a new status with new influences. These new influences shape your new practice. You are declared a new creation because you are a new creation. You can begin 
living out what you are, living a new life. And what Paul describes here, these three steps, put off, be renewed, put on, remind me of Christ's own conditions for discipleship in Mark 8.34. Jesus said, if anyone wishes to come after me, three things he's got to do. He must deny himself, put off the old man. He must take up his cross, and in a roundabout a way, that is calling for a new way of thinking. No one would, no one would hear, take up your cross, and in the way that they were conditioned to think, you go, oh yeah, I see what you're saying, Jesus. You got a point. No. A completely radical way of thinking. And third, follow me. Put on the new man. Vince Lombardi said, if you want to be successful, you've got to remember the basics. You've got to make sure you're executing the fundamentals. Why? Because you never graduate from the basics. And these are the basics of the Christian walk. These are the basics of the Christian walk. Give up the old man, turn away from sin, mortify the flesh, be renewed in mind, thought, and desire, and from then on, continue to live the new life that you have in Christ. And if, and if you are in Christ, which I can assume you are, this is the pattern that you can't deviate as long as you draw breath. So it's good for you to become well acquainted with this pattern, right? Because the moment that you stop drawing breath, or if the rapture happens, it is only then that you cease living in Romans 7. Remember what Paul said in Romans 7. He has, he has, there's a conflict, there's a war. There's the law of his mind waging war with the law of his members. As long as we live in this flesh, we are there in Romans 7. But a day is coming when we will live in 1 John 3, 2. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. One day, you will be like your Lord in sinlessness. You will be like your Lord in perfection. You will be like your Lord in glory. But that day is not yet. Until then, we walk in the basics of repentance. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this helpful word. Thank you for the merciful start that you have given us in Christ. Thank you for the blessing that it is that our salvation isn't contingent upon us attaining a certain standard because as we looked at this morning in our, in our scripture reading and in our prayer, Christ achieved that standard for us. And if it were conditioned upon us being practically righteous and practically holy and practically good, then no one here would make it. How thankful we are that positionally in Christ we are declared right and justified. Let that blessed truth that Christ Jesus has done the heavy lifting for us, let that compel us, let that motivate us and provide fuel for our desire to walk in holiness and to walk in righteousness. Help us to see clearly what our Christian walk ought to look like as we continue through the rest of this wonderful book and as Paul tells us how we ought to walk, Lord, in light of Christ Jesus' grace and mercy to us, help us to do that very thing. We love you. We thank you for all of these spiritual blessings that are ours through through your grace. Amen. Well, as we come to a close today, would you stand with us for one last song of worship?
sing Oh the Deep Deep Love of Jesus which as we think about this message today these reminders of our basics are very appropriate for us to sing in worship here we go and oh the deep deep love of Jesus vast unmeasured boundless free who you are and preach you alone.